Welcome to the AWPT Podcast, a safe space for personal trainers and coaches who want to learn, grow, and feel heard in the fitness industry. Each week, we'll bring you industry-relevant discussions on all things coaching, mindset, and professional development, empowering you with the tools to be a competent and confident coach. Alrighty, hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the AWPT podcast. Today I am joined by Emily who is an exercise physio and she is here today to talk to us all about injury prevention, injury management and all of that good stuff which we haven't really chatted about on the podcast before, at least not in the last year that I have been co-hosting. So I'm really, really excited for this conversation. But before we do that, I would love Emily to tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, what you love, all of that good stuff. Thanks, Tara. Um, yeah, so I'm a sports and exercise physio. I've been in the kind of private practice and sports space for over 10 years. I'm a business owner, so I have my own physio clinic as well as do some online physio consults too. Um, and I'm also like a business coach and mentor as well. Amazing. And so how long have you been in this space for? Um, so physio has been over 10 years. I specialised as a sports and exercise physio probably about oh, maybe seven years ago. Um, but I've, like having my own business, that's been a bit of a newer thing. So over the last couple of years, I've just been building that up um, and have only just opened my own clinic at the moment just recently. That's so exciting. And you said you were Adelaide-based, is that correct? Adelaide, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, amazing. It's so good. It's I think it's really nice, obviously, as coaches and personal trainers, we're all sort of like working, I guess, like for ourselves for the most part, unless you're on salary at a gym and stuff. But it's nice to create a yeah. network of people that you can refer out to, which I'm sure we're going to be talking about today in terms of scope of practice with trainers and injury and stuff like that. So yeah, for any of our coaches based in Adelaide, now you have someone to refer out to. Um <laughs> But what sort of got you interested in physio? Have you always been interested in exercise or was it more sort of the interpersonal relationships side of physio that got you into that space? Um, well, funny story. I actually always wanted to do journalism, but I <laughs> then was like, I played a lot of sport myself in high school. And I think that's often how a lot of physios start is they start to take an interest in their own body. And I was having quite a lot of injuries around that time. And I started to find it interesting to learn about the human body, but also how beneficial like getting the right diagnosis and the right rehab plan can be. And I think I had some unfortunate incidents where I had injuries and I had a misdiagnosis or I wasn't given the right information around nutrition for the high level of training I was doing. And that really impacted my ability to get into higher, you know, levels and, and state grades and all of that kind of thing. So I wanted to be able to learn that and help other people to do the exercise or the sport that they love doing and actually get the correct advice and information and not let an injury have to stop them from doing the things they love. I love that. And that's definitely something that we're going to be going into in this episode is, you know, 
being able to manage an injury or prevent an injury so that people don't have to stop exercise altogether. I know I have a few friends that similarly, like in high school were, you know, super sporty and were into quite high level sport and then got injured and all of a sudden, like they just stopped exercising altogether, um, which is so sad because obviously, as you said, like doing something that you love is so important at any age. Um, And there are obviously so many benefits to sport as opposed to just like, it's not just the exercise component as well. So um, I love that. And what really piqued my interest, I guess, with this topic or this episode in particular was the stat that you said about 75% of people stop exercising when they get injured and how it sort of is your mission to keep people moving and keep people exercising and working around that injury. But what has been, I suppose, your uh, experience with physio and the clientele that you work with? Do people obviously come to you with an acute injury that they're wanting to be managed or do people come to you to prevent it? Or is it usually like, how does it typically work? Look, I would love to probably see more people from a prevention point of view, but most of the population come on a reactive basis and they come in once they are injured. Um, I probably do tend to see a lot more of the acute injuries working in like a sport and exercise um, as my main clientele. Um, But yeah, I do see a lot of people come through they already have an injury they're not sure what to do um but there are a lot of studies that do back up that yeah about 75 percent of people will stop if they feel pain and that can often come from a fear of well how bad is the pain like have I done something really serious I don't know what I've done um so not understanding and then just not knowing what is actually safe to continue doing versus not doing as well um, and yeah exactly when we're talking fitness coaches PTs that that online or that side of things a lot of people are losing clients so a lot of the gym owners that I work with they see they're losing clients they're losing money where because people are dropping out they don't know what to do but there's like lots of easy answers that we can do to fix that and get people back in training as soon as possible there's always something you can do <laughs> yeah, definitely. I love that cuz I mean even in my experience like personally, it makes sense, right, that you know, you get injured and depending on where the injury is, like I think often if it's somewhere in the back or even somewhere in the neck, immediately mm. people freak out, whereas I think yeah. sometimes if it's a bit more sort of like limb based depending mm. on the personality, they might try and work through it a bit more, but like yeah. Obviously where you know, conditioned and taught like you know, your spine and your neck, like you don't want an injury there kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but has that been your experience as well? That the what are the types of injuries that are coming to you? And, you know, I suppose do you find that a lot of the injuries are um because they've done something radical in their sport or in their gym that's like wrecked themselves or is it more sort of like overtraining or is it more in proper form or what sort of does it look like in your clinic? Look, a combination of all of the above. And I think Mm -hmm. that's very dependent on what someone does exercise wise and how new they are to exercise as well. So, and, you know, going to gym classes myself, I often see new people come in and 
they're you know their techniques kind of all over the place and they don't have anyone to correct them on those things but they keep going because they you know want to get strong or lose weight or whatever their goals are um but you do see that breakdown over time and sometimes all it is is okay well if we just change a technique like this or we can modify it this way it means you can continue to go on pain-free and once you have the strength you can you know, do the full exercise properly or whatever it might be. Then I guess different populations, I probably find like runners are maybe ones that have a lot more overuse kind of injuries, um, but they want to keep pushing through. So it's very personality dependent, I think, as to what more or less presents there. Um, And then, yeah, more your sport clientele are probably more the ones that are coming with their acute like hamstring strain or calf strain or something along those lines. Yeah, definitely. And I think we we see that obviously in the gym as well in terms of the different kinds of people and how they manage Mm. injuries as well. So I'd love to dive into that a little bit too, because as you said, like there is definitely a personality element um, in terms of, yeah, people that like to push through pain or people that are like super... I mean, obviously, if they're a professional athlete, like they do need to continue exercising, they do need to sort of work around it and manage that injury. But, you know, people that refuse to take rest even when mm. they need it or or what, um, how do you go about having those conversations with clients in terms of the best way to come up with a treatment plan and manage their injury when they do come to you? Well, look, I think that is a a good differentiation and this is something I talk to a lot of my gym clients about. So if you look at people that play sport, they generally have like a pre-season, they have an in-season, they have an off-season and they have a year that has different phases, right? Um, And they have training that's aligned to different phases. And a lot of people I see go to the gym and they're kind of, most people are generally consistent all year round. They don't have a, a deload phase or they don't have a, a break in there. Um, most people just have an ongoing, unless they've got a really great program from a great coach. Um, and they tend to have just, you know, they just keep going and there is no rest. And we know that for the body to actually build strength and get better and perform better, you actually need a deload week to increase improve your performance anyway but they are the people that are coming with those overuse injuries so in terms of you know coming up with a treatment plan and how to address that look I rarely say to someone that they need to stop doing exercise like unless they've literally broken their leg well we can still if they've broken their leg they could still train upper body like there's still you know there's really a case where I'd say there is absolutely like just do not go to the gym at all (laughs) so it's one educating on why so if people don't understand why they need to do something they're not going to buy into it and they're not going to do it um it's compromising together so it's like okay well you can't do this right now because this is making your injury worse. And I get them, like I ask kind of open-ended questions to find out when they have their pain and what it is so that they start to realise themselves like, oh, yeah, well, when I do run, you know, more than 5K, I do get that pain that sets me back for three days. So once they can realise it themselves rather than me just throwing information at them, they start to understand why we're going to go down this process But then I map out what the process is going to look like. So I can tell from their injury, 
approximately how long it might take, whether it might be six to eight weeks or whatever it may be. And then I map out a phase for them. So, okay, we might be doing a bit of a deload this week. Then we're going to start rebuilding some strength in this phase. Then we're gradually going to get back into running, for example, um, so that they know that whatever their end goal is and whatever the activity is they want to do, we've got a plan to get there. And it's not just, well, you can't do it and we'll see kind of thing. Um, people don't like that. They want to know when and how they're going to be able to do it again. Yeah, no, I think that's so important. And obviously, like a lot of those components are a component of like a well-structured plan to avoid injury in the first place as well. So, you know, incorporating those deloads and um, having a bit of, you know, program periodization throughout the course of a year or, you know, with mesocycles, microcycles, all of that kind of stuff as well. Um, But no, I completely agree, you know, it's about having open-ended dialogue with your client and then sort of figuring out to, I suppose, like what their lifestyle looks like and, you know, what kind of stuff. Because it's obviously when we're talking about injury, it's not just what are you doing in the gym to, you know, exercise or work out particular muscles but it's like what are you doing outside of the gym like what does your work look like if people have sort of physical jobs or if people have children how are you picking up your children because I think like often when people are in the gym they're in a particular mind frame and they're like oh I'm lifting you know a 10 kilo dumbbell but like I have an injury on my shoulder so I can't like do that but then you know if they have to pick up a child later in the day they like don't think about it um and you know that's often where flare-ups and stuff can occur as well yeah absolutely what do they actually require like what does their body require of them day to day and are they going to be able to do that yeah so I suppose how do you have those kind of conversations with your clients in terms of figuring out an overall structure with their injury management plan and you know reminding them that it's not just the work that they do in the gym like if someone was struggling with their day-to-day activities do you mean or yeah yeah Yeah. I mean look it's hard because you know we're not in a perfect world and people still have to do things like if you have a child you still have to pick it up like we can't say oh well actually no you need to rest your shoulder right now like that's not a good idea so it's it's taking into that like real life situations that may impact on the time frame it's going to take for healing though depending on what it is um so you know say for example a, a good one is people that have like a tennis elbow kind of condition like a repetitive thing but they have a job where they have to do a repetitive movement they can't just not go to work but they also were then putting that elbow under strain for you know eight hours every single day um so the reality is in okay a perfect world this might only take say four weeks to get better um but because you're going to have to do this all the time it may take this amount of time to get better instead so just kind of pre-setting expectations and helping the person to understand what to expect and hey this isn't just going to go away overnight because you have to keep stressing this particular muscle group every single day but this is what we should see for it to improve these are the little milestones that I expect to see changing 
you know, in the future. And that's why, you know, testing's a good thing. Pain's not always a good level of measure because, um, you know, that might not always seem like it's changing for people. But when you look at strength or movement or the way they move or any other kind of objective test, you can actually measure if someone's improving or not. Yeah, definitely. I suppose people have different levels of pain tolerance as well. So, you know, someone who is, you know, chronically injured might have a different level of pain tolerance to someone who's like just hurt their hamstring or something or just like torn it that kind of thing no I love that I love you know the focus on even just the conversation and the relationship management of like creating those realistic expectations because I think again depending on the personality some people are very much you know realistic in terms of oh this Mm. is just going to be a 12 week process. And then like, I'll be able Mm. to move other people like want things fixed overnight. And it's like, well, (laughs) that's not quite how the body works. (laughs) Yeah. Um, A lot of people do expect that though. So if you don't set expectations, they come back after a week and be like, oh, well, it's still there. Like, of course, it's probably still going to be there. Like, (laughs) um, so the more, you know, you don't want to promise the world and under deliver, you'd rather set an expectation that's a little bit further ahead and then improve on that yourself um, rather than let a client down. (laughs) Exactly. And obviously when it comes to, um, to that injury management over that sort of period of time, obviously a big part of that is compliance in terms of the rehab exercises, which I think is, at least in my experience, like anecdotal experience is often where people not necessarily go wrong, but go off track is they'll be really, Mm. and it's the same with any kind of exercise program, really. Like people will be really keen because they are in pain to begin with. So they do want it to get better. And so they do do the exercises that they've been prescribed by their physio. And then, you know, as soon as things start to feel a little bit better or life gets in the way, then they stop doing their exercises. I know I was having this conversation with my dad the other day. (laughs) um, And, and then obviously the, the injury management plan has not then been Know, fulfilled so how do you go about you know managing compliance when it comes to people's rehab exercises because obviously if people are seeing a physio you know whether it's once a week and then they're supposed to be doing their exercises at home making sure that they're actually doing them <laughs> yeah great question and I see it you know as a common theme amongst lots of other practitioners that they struggle with compliance with their patients. Um, So look, one, the first thing I always have, especially at that initial consult, is finding out what's going to be realistic for that person. So, you know, I could go and create this awesome exercise program, but if they don't have the time of the day to do it, it's not going to happen. So would I be better off for this, you know, a certain person picking one or two key exercises to focus on for them that they can fit into their day rather than giving them something that's completely unrealistic for what they're actually willing to do. Um, Two, if it is someone that's active going to the gym, like actually giving them gym exercises rather than like some awkward little band exercises or something that they probably don't actually want to do, like find something that may be similar to the style of training that they already do that's going to benefit them and it's just adding in this one or two, you know, accessory exercises. Um, But, yeah, you're right. Once people get to that pain 
you know, that pain-free threshold, but they're not necessarily 100% better, that's where a lot of physios see patients drop off. My thing, though, is looking at testing and function. So I always like to ask, well, are you 100% better? Like, would you consider yourself 100% better? And if not, like, where would you rate yourself? So if they say, well, I'm about 80% better, well, I want them to tell me what is that last 20% that they want to see. So they have a goal that they want to try and achieve and we both know what we're trying to work towards. Um, if they feel like they're 100% better, which some people do once their pain's gone, I have like my own test that I would expect, um, you know, based on their goals, their age, what kind of activity they do. So again, say, I don't know, a runner, for example, if they want to be running a marathon, I have like strength tests that I would want them to pass for their injury. They need to be able to hit certain numbers and that might be numbers according to data or numbers maybe according to their good leg for example um and so they have a strength-based goal that they need to reach before I'm happy to discharge them back to 100% better as well so it's shifting again the focus from pain to actually function functional use instead yeah no I love that and it's I suppose as you said earlier you know, pain is not the world's most accurate measure of both injury, but also of, you know, the the success of the rehab and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And I also particularly want to go back to what you were saying about incorporating rehab or injury management exercises as part of an overarching program, because I do mm. think that it's often where people, I guess, fall off the bandwagon if you will with their exercises is because they're like oh doing my like little uh, resistance band thing like it's boring I don't want to do it or I forget to do it but if especially if they're a, a type of personality where they like their routine and they like going to the gym and they're disappointed that because they're injured they're not able to continue with that routine mm. incorporating those rehab exercises in a program that they can do in the gym so they feel like they're still working out rather than just doing like rehab clamshell kind of things yeah yeah <laughs> um, I, exactly like yeah make make a big difference to not only compliance but also just the mentality and like the perspective of the client that is going about the program yeah absolutely like I think that's one thing that unfortunately probably isn't done that well in the physio world sometimes um, and a lot of people maybe associate with going to physio is you get you know some awkward little band exercise for three sets of ten like you know um, which isn't you know really that useful again depending on their goals and what they want to be doing the goal is to get them back to the activity that they love doing so we need to incorporate an exercise that is actually similar to that or if it does have to start off that light such as a therapist because they really are unable to do anything more saying well once you can achieve this goal we will add weights back in in once you achieve this milestone so they at least know it's coming <laughs> yeah definitely and also like they can do the theraband stuff in a gym if they wanted to have that kind of exit yeah. like that atmosphere or, you know like maintain that kind of routine because I suppose that also will help with the return to exercise component mm. as well because they have you know completely let go of their routine or or the exercise component from the beginning 
Um, I also feel like, and I'm sure you would do this as well um, with your clients. I know my dad was seeing a physio and my cousin's a physio as well. And they use um, online portals with exercise demonstrations. Cause I suppose, you know, again, if I use my dad for an example, like 60 something year old kind of thing, like who doesn't do gym based exercises, he gets this stuff from the physio and then he doesn't retain <laughs> what you yeah. know, the physio told him to do. Like remember what it was. So having the videos and like in this age of technology having the resources that are going to make that rehab or those exercises more accessible as well is also I think super important for compliance and making sure people actually do it at home yeah absolutely it's um you know especially if someone doesn't have an active background there's so many good um you know I use one myself but at least people can get a video demonstration of how to do it and there's some clear instructions rather than just like writing down all this exercise because most people forget what you tell them in the appointment and then they make up their own kind of variation of it so actually having a clear cut that they can just watch the video follow the exact numbers on it um yeah absolutely helps with compliance as well I also feel like it would help with you know the managing the physio side of things with the personal trainer if if someone's seeing both because then mm. it, instead of the client trying to explain what the physio said and like explain the exercise that they thought that they remembered from you know mm. the appointment that they had to the personal trainer they're able to just say here's the exercise here is a video because then the trainer can use that and incorporate that into the program as well because I think I don't know how you go about managing that um, referral sort of system with coaches and other trainers. Um, but at least in my experience, it's mostly been sort of a word of mouth kind of thing. Like the client will go to the physio and then will come back and tell me what she's, mm. you know, been told. Um, yeah. But yeah, how do you go about managing that sort of referral system? To be honest, I love to get in touch with like the PT or fitness coach that they're working with because, you know, sometimes it's like Chinese whispers. If you tell a client something and they don't remember it all and then they're telling you something different and, you know, you're not getting that clear message. So I just asked for their permission. Do they have their email address? And would they mind if I like emailed their PT? Because I think it's so much more beneficial if we can work together as a team. So I can say, hey, you know, so-and-so has this injury. I don't want them doing this at the moment, but I think it'd be really helpful if they could do this instead this is where I'm going, this is kind of the plan over the next few weeks, I'll keep you updated, you let me know if you have any questions, because it works both ways, you know, the client's going to be safe, then they're doing what I kind of want them to do to help them get better, and they're still able to train with the PT or fitness coach as well, so you're not losing a client, and then it's an opportunity from your end to ask questions and, and learn at the same time too. So if you saw someone else in the future that had a similar injury, then you're also going to maybe know a little bit about well, what kinds of exercises would be good for this person or what you could do instead too. So I think keeping that relationship super important. Yeah, I think that's amazing because I, I completely agree that it does turn into a bit of a Chinese whispers <laughs> situation otherwise. And also too, you know, it's acknowledging 
as as coaches, it's acknowledging our scope of practice when it comes to injury management. Like unless you have a physio background or as a as a personal trainer, we're not necessarily taught how to manage those kind of injuries. And so I feel like when it even when it comes to exercise selection for rehab and stuff like that, the only way really that you learn about you know, exercise prescription and stuff is just through experience. Like if you have a client that has been injured or you've been injured yourself and then you've been introduced to exercises from your physio and then you can apply that to other clients in the future. I think this is a much more, um, like you just, you don't want to wait until the last minute kind of thing. Like yeah. you want to along the way and you want to be, you know, you want to be taught and and be mentored in some kind of way by someone who is an expert in that area as opposed to, you know, doing whatever, looking it up on YouTube or Google or, or whatever. Yeah. And as, yeah. as I said, it's going to be better for the client because they've got, you know, both people looking out for them. If if you're working with, um, like, with a client in the gym, you're obviously going to, and, you know, depending on how many sessions you're doing with that client per week, you're probably going to be with them more than the physio. And so it does help to have like mm-hmm. an extra set of eyes, but you want to know what, like, what you're supposed to be looking out for. You don't want to give them exercises that they've been told that they're not supposed to do and forgotten and all of that kind of stuff. So I think having that open line of communication with the physio that you're working with is beneficial for everybody involved. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a key thing, your scope of practice. Like I do the same thing. Like I know what I'm really good at, but I also know what's outside of my scope too. And that's why it's nice to have a network that you work closely with. The client actually really appreciates it when you say, look, this is like not something that I see a lot of, but I know so-and-so is an expert in this. I just want you to like, you know, get a second set of eyes on this or get their opinion. We can still work together, but let's just get this opinion because I think that's going to be what's best for you. And a client appreciates that rather than someone trying to just keep going and going and actually like not even really doing the right thing for them at the end of the day they're they're probably more likely to leave or cancel then because they're like oh this person's kind of wasted my time (laughs) yeah definitely a hundred percent and so I suppose that's managing the relationship one-on-one but I think even as coaches going out and listening to podcasts like these or doing courses on injury management, like up-leveling and upskilling in that way is obviously beneficial as well. Um, just in terms of having an overall understanding and and learning those kind of different exercises that might be applicable to certain injuries um, is obviously going to be helpful. Um, so that way you don't have to wait until your client is, you know, injured to be able to learn what like, exercises are going to be helpful for someone who has a bum knee or who's got you know glute pain or whatever um and so I would love to sort of go back a little bit and talk about some common injuries and I know we spoke about particularly common injuries for women because obviously AWPT Mm. we're all about female specific (laughs) training um what are some common injuries that you see amongst female clients is there yeah, a trend? So, yeah, there is a bit of a trend. Like one, females are 
generally a bit, little bit more prone to getting lower body injuries. So lower back, knees, ankle and foot injuries are a big one. Um, stress fractures are a little bit higher in females as well. And soft tissue things like ligament strains is a big trend in ACL injuries at the moment in females. Um, so they're a big one as well. Why, why do you think that is? So a few different reasons, like with the lower body, one, the female obviously has a different shape hip to the male. So females have a slightly wider hip and that puts a different angle on the knee. And so we refer to that as the Q angle in physio terms versus your male body that's straight up and down. And so it's that extra angle and pressure on the knee um, that can sometimes predispose females for uh, injury to the lower body. Uh, hormones are a massive one as well. So obviously with different phases of the menstrual cycle and hormone levels, estrogen, progesterone, relaxin, um, it's really, I think it's around that ovulation phase where ligament and, you know, soft tissue strain injuries are actually at their highest. Um, and, yeah, that has a big impact as well. Relaxin is the other hormone that literally relaxes all your ligaments as well. So, yeah, that predisposes people. And then, yes, yeah, stress fractures, that can be around the amount of muscle around the bone. Um, but as well, I'm not sure if you've heard of something called like REDS, which is like your relative energy deficiency syndrome. So some females that maybe don't eat enough or they have um issues with their menstrual cycle that really disrupts the hormone levels and it can result in a lower bone mineral density so it means that that population are a lot more prone to stress fractures as well so yeah they're probably some of the biggest reasons I think at the same time too like it depends what we're talking about and what population we're talking about but there aren't always as many resources for females as there are for males as well um, particularly in the sporting world like I'm seeing that a lot now a lot of men's sporting teams have you know all these strength and conditioning coaches and they got funding for all of these things but the women's teams don't have the funding for that kind of support um, so they are a lot more prone to injuries because they don't have the people there to support them on the journey as well. Yeah, that's such an interesting point. I feel like that starts from quite a young age as well. Like I know um, different boys' schools or boys' sporting teams in high school will often have, I mean, depending on if it's private school or, or whatnot, often will have strength and conditioning coaches like within their high school team sport. And that mm. not only helps with, you know, injury management if if the boys are injured but also like there's someone there teaching them form for specific exercises which is going to help you know with injury prevention making sure that they're doing the exercises properly to begin with and I don't think I know any girl sporting team at least growing up in schools that have their own strength no no not at all it did not exist and still to these day like to this day sorry I mean I think it's getting a little bit better probably again yeah in a private school setting where there is more funding but if you look at the general population it's still lacking greatly yeah (laughs) yeah definitely and I suppose going back to those 
common injuries and, you know, that female specific sort of injury. Um, you, you talked about reds there. Would that be similar to, I suppose, like the female athlete triad in terms of the, yeah. um, yeah. can you go a little into that female athlete triad and what, what it is for people that don't know? Yeah, absolutely. So, so reds is pretty much just the part about not having enough energy intake. So you've got a low energy intake. So that's essentially a key component of the female athlete triad where, you're not eating enough, you don't have enough energy intake for the activity you're doing, that can then sometimes result in menstrual cycle issues where people may lose their menstrual cycle altogether. Um, that is not healthy. It's a, it's a red flag that really needs to be identified. It's a good thing to ask. Um, first of all, I think whether you're a PT or a, a coach or a health professional if someone's quite active that should absolutely be a question that we're asking um, but yeah if someone doesn't have their menstrual cycle then their hormones are not functioning that they work the way that they should be and yeah losing bone mineral density is a big thing that starts to happen and then that puts people at a higher risk factor for all kinds of injuries but certainly bone stress injuries are a big one that we see from that and that obviously i think my understanding is estrogen plays a big role in bone density so again if we're talking about you know different demographics of women obviously postmenopausal and like perimenopausal women who are experiencing a loss um, and losing their estrogen, that is also going to make them more prone to um, bone density conditions as well. Is that? Yeah, that no, you're, yeah, yeah, you are. You're a hundred percent right there. Yeah. So looking at it throughout the lifespan as well of at that age and just being aware that, okay, this clientele is at a greater risk of these things and knowing the signs and symptoms to be aware of so that we can identify those issues um, earlier as they arise. And um, same thing for someone that maybe hasn't done much exercise in their life, like as a younger person, because your bone mineral density, like if you don't grow up doing sport, running, jumping, exercising in that capacity, your bone mineral density in your 30s is already significantly lower than someone that has done exercise all throughout their teenage years. So looking at what someone's past exercise history has been like and if they're now deciding for the first time in their life at 35 they want to take up running or something like that, um, it's going to maybe need to be a much more graduated program with a lot more of a strength focus than someone that's run all their life too. That's so interesting because, yeah, obviously, like you hear about, you know, the benefits of exercise and sports, you know, for teenagers and children growing up. Although in saying that, too, I feel like there's still it's definitely getting better, but there's still some kind of stigma around teenagers and weight training and strength training, mm. and stuff like that. Like I know. I was in some kind of Facebook community group and some mum was like posting in the community group saying like, oh, are there any good personal trainers or like classes? Like my teenage son or something wants to get into weight training. And half the comments on there were like, don't do that. It's going to stunt their growth. Like all of which I'm like, surely we're past this. Like surely this is yeah. not a conversation that we're having, but apparently it is. <laughs> 
love all the comments from people with no health or fitness or medical background that just want to throw their three cents in based on their opinion. (laughs) Nothing to back it up other than their opinion. I see that a lot online as well. Um, Yeah, it's great at that age. (laughs) Great to get started on some foundations for sure. Definitely. And as as you said, like they're is going to be long-term benefit to that as well. You know, if they are wanting to exercise later on in life, they're going to have a much better foundation Mm. in terms of bone density, in terms of muscle strength and stuff like that. And that's probably a really good point that perhaps a lot of coaches wouldn't necessarily ask and is maybe worth asking in a pre-exercise questionnaire when Mm. when you do sign on a new client. Like we do obviously ask about exercise, you know, history, but I think more in the realm of you know how, like what kind of classes have you done before like have you ever done training before but it's it's more yeah. than that. it's like what kind of sports did you do growing up mm. and like if there's particular common injuries around you know netball obviously like if someone tells me that they have a netball background I'm like okay like how their knees yeah <laughs> exactly um and and then yeah obviously Again, if people are coming to you saying, oh, I want to really get into running, but I have not done a huge amount of sport or exercise growing up to this point, mm-hmm. as you said, that is going to impact the way that you that you sort of structure a program and not only sort of, okay, yeah, you won't send them out to do a, a marathon or, or you know, interval sprints or something like that, but like, yes, okay, I need to incorporate some more strength training into this program rather mm-hmm. than just skill-based running stuff to begin with yeah that's it I think it's yeah absolutely people can do all of these things they they can do whatever they want to do but it's our job just to be aware of yeah putting their life story together is how I like to put it and with a lot of my clients I might not ask every single question on visit one because that's not always essential but whilst we're you know in future visits and it may be whilst you're training a client is that a conversation that comes up so like tell me about your past like did you ever play sport when you were a kid like what did you do and so you just start to one you're taking interest in them but two you're just putting their whole kind of life exercise history and health history together to formulate what's going to be the best plan for them definitely and as you said it comes back to that open communication that open dialogue and like creating the relationship with the client um going back to the cue angle and the hips and the and these common injuries for women um we do talk about the cue angle in some of the awpt courses in the like the eight-week course and also in the um women's biomechanics and programming but from um an injury management perspective with that cue angle and as, as you said women typically come to you with a few more sort of knee injuries, which makes sense, obviously, because if those um, knees and the femurs are coming in from a wider angle than men, that's going to impact the way that not only we perform certain exercises, um, but if you don't perform them correctly, that's going to put strain on the knee in a different Mm -hmm. way than, than, you know, males. Um, So, one thing we talk about in terms of adapting certain exercises is more single leg movements. Than, yeah. Um, and especially in 
fixed positions like a leg extension or lunges and, and stuff like that, altering the angle or doing things one leg versus both so that you can, I suppose, have a little bit more freedom in that angle. What are some other ways that we can modify exercises or movements or movement patterns to accommodate for that wider cue angle? Well, that's, that's pretty much exactly how I address it as well. So, you know, say if it's a knee issue, I might start just looking at what a squat's like with, you know, a double leg movement um, and looking at how their knees are tracking with that. Now, look, there is absolutely mixed evidence on the perfect position, but generally as a rule of thumb, if someone's knees are just collapsing in together, then I am going to try and help train them out to like be in a little bit more of an aligned position and then it is it's breaking it down so yeah like a lunge being a semi split stance position and then going to single leg things like your single leg squat is another one that I kind of love if we're looking at a squat position um, as well so it's going okay can we master something in a double leg okay make that a split stance and then make that a single leg movement as their strength has kind of built up over time with it. I think once the client's aware of what they're doing and what you're trying to achieve, like, you, you know, you can get them to watch themselves in a mirror do it um, and they can start to try and correct that themselves. And if they're, sometimes it just needs some cues, like you might just put your hand on, say, like the inside of their knee with like a slight gentle push out. And if they can correct it themselves, you know you can give it to them as an exercise to train. If they absolutely cannot correct that movement themselves, then you might use like a, a TheraBand or a PowerBand or something to help guide their knees into a position that you want them to be. Or you might think, okay, well, maybe we need to, they can't do a full squat without their knees collapsing in. Maybe we're just going to work on box squats for now until they can get that movement pattern in a half range. Once they've like built up strength for that, then we can take it into a full range movement um, as they've like slightly build up that technique over time too definitely I think those are all amazing tips and I know as a fellow knee pain sufferer in the past <laughs> they were all things that I did a lot of in terms of um yeah those pistol squat kind of movements the single leg stuff because I think a lot of injuries also come down to imbalances in strength as mm. well and overcompensation stuff like that so bringing things down to single leg and single limb movements mm. you can see where those imbalances are yeah. um and then also yeah doing some theraband stuff in terms of having like the band behind mm. my knees and like attached to something else so that there was that kind of counterforce there was super yeah. helpful um yeah I think those are all some really great exercise regressions for knee pain Another great one as well if someone's struggling with squats is um, like a heel, uh, sorry, a plate underneath their heel. So giving that little heel lift, sometimes that can help someone to get like the better depth of movement. So I think just looking at their how they're doing the exercise and then trying a few different things to see, okay, well, which one of these things actually helps the most? Like it's okay if the first thing you try isn't the best thing, but you might have two or three different ideas up your sleeve of, okay, well, let's try this instead. Let's try this until you find the thing that actually works. Yeah, definitely. And I think as we spoke about earlier, that's where that sort of reciprocal relationship between the coach and the physio is going to be most beneficial because obviously the 
physio has the expertise to be able to sort of prescribe and figure out what might be impacting the the muscle or the joint or something like what that root cause is and the best sort of exercise modifications or exercises to actually improve that strength you know they're going to be the one that's going to be able to best prescribe those kind of exercises to save you the coach you know hours fiddling around with being like okay like which one is maybe going to help kind of thing that's Um, it (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And then the other point that you made was sort of about that lower back pain, um, mm. which I think definitely a common, you know, component. And I would love to know your expertise on this, but my mind immediately goes to obviously females have shorter rib cages, so we've got a bit more space between the rib cage and the pelvis, which could impact that lower back pain. I don't know if that's like why women <laughs> maybe experience more lower back pain than men but I guess that would be my question why would women experience more lower back pain than men there can be a lot of reasons but the population I probably see in the most is maybe people that are more sedentary so office workers office jobs and those kinds of things where you're actually probably more likely to get tighter and weaker hip flexors as well can have a big impact on that um, as well. People get stiffer. So like the spine's meant to move, like each vertebrae, like there should be a level of movement between them. And a lot of people end up in these rigid, stiff positions and they might they might still go to the gym, but they might be sitting at their desk all day for work or something. And so then they're not actually moving their body properly. <laughs> um, so they might be using other muscles groups more than others for those things um and just general kind of weakness in some of those muscle groups too yeah yeah definitely I think in my experience the lower back pain is as you said it's that hip flexor tightness in Mm. fact just before this um zoom call just before this podcast recording I was teaching a class and I had one of the clients say that her uh lower back was really sore when she was away in Melbourne last week and you know she was like oh it took me like a week for the pain to release and she was like I got a massage and then I got some dry and anyway and then I was like okay well how is it feeling now she's like yeah it's okay now but I can feel it starting to like niggle again and I was like okay well do you stretch after these classes that you do every you know every two days and she goes yeah no (laughs) okay um that could be a start maybe we could yeah why don't you back for the next five minutes and actually stretch yeah um and also as you say it's that sort of movement throughout the day because I think that's a big part of why everyone has such tight glutes and tight hips is because we're sat in that same position for mm. eight hours a day getting up and moving around yeah, the body's not really designed to be like stuck in the same position all day, every day. So again, it's just taking it back and problem solving and working out, okay, well, like when did the pain start? What changed in your day-to-day activities or around that week when it started? Um, And what kinds of things make the pain worse and what makes it better? And the most common thing with back pain is, oh, sitting makes it worse, but movement will make it better. So you've got your answer right there. Okay, great. You've told me exactly what we need to do. We need to move more. Um, so it might be okay. Well, and it look, this is 
a very generalised term because there can be so many different things with the back. I guess we're talking generalised kind of achy back pain. Um, but, you know, yeah, encouraging people to try and get up from their desk every half an hour or, as you said, do stretches. You normally do stretches, but you haven't actually done your stretches. So maybe, like, that's a change in what normally does help you as well. Um, and fear, though, because people, as you said earlier in our podcast, neck and back pain, people tend to have a higher level of fear with spinal things, thinking that it's something far more detrimental or far more serious. And you can have a 10 out of 10 back pain, but it's actually a very mild injury. So pain and the injury don't always correlate. People get scared, they stop moving, stop moving makes it worse. It kind of goes in a cycle from there. Yeah, definitely. I know Last year I was doing, I think it was just like a hamstring curl and I was working with Kayla, the head of AWPT at the time. And I just, I twinged something and immediately I was like, Kayla, help, what am I supposed to do? And she was like, okay, take a breath. It's all going to be okay. (laughs) And then it was, and her background is physio as well. And so she was sort of like, okay, well, what, positions does it hurt the most in like does it hurt when you're sort of like arching your like rounding your back and sort of that angry cat movement or is it the happy cat like when it's you know concave mm. or convex or whatever like which position does it hurt the most in um and that can also help explain perhaps like if if I didn't know it was the hamstring curl that did it which was very obvious for me at the time but if you don't know like what the actual injury was figuring out yeah which positions hurt the most pain wise Mm. and again not avoiding that pain altogether but it'll help you be like okay well I can do these exercises pain Mm. whereas this is where the pain starts in can I regress the movement where there is a bit of pain so that I can still do something in that position and then slowly build up from there but even I as a coach was freaking out being like ah my lower back like whatever I'm gonna be yeah (laughs) yeah that's it because most people know someone you know maybe their uncle did their back and now they're on like a walking frame or like just some really terrible story and thinking that you've done some really dreadful damage (laughs) and it just makes the pain worse doesn't it (laughs) exactly um so yeah I think from and and I think this is the thing with coaches as well like depending on when that injury happened like if you're physically with the client when they get injured first of all hopefully you've got insurance but (laughs) secondly (laughs) um, um secondly you know I think a big part of that initial injury management is just your reaction to it in terms of Mm. figuring out you know obviously you don't want to downplay someone's you know emotional response or reaction to an injury but you also don't want to sort of sensationalize it as well and like make it Mm. area than it than it needs to be yeah exactly and I think that's probably a really great thing for coaches to be able to do is be like okay have like a bit of a plan if someone does actually injure themselves during a session like having a plan of what you're going to say what you're going to do and then have that follow-up the next day to check in on how they're going and how you can kind of help them through that and still plan your training cycles around that yeah definitely and as you said and as we've said having that network of people that you can refer out to as well like if you are there in the immediate sort of aftermath um, of the injury managing that you know half an hour, hour, whatever it ends up being that you're physically with the client when they've been injured, you know, whether it's 
putting an ice pack, like having those sort of first aid mm. skills as well. And then having someone, a physio, a chiro, whatever the injury kind of is that you can refer out to and then go from there and not being like, oh, shit, you rolled your ankle. Well, <laughs> yeah. like, uh, like, go to the doctor. Do I need to call an ambulance? Like, Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't dramatize know. it more and be like, what yeah. have I done? And I'm not, don't say sorry. Like, you know, these things happen. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Just acting calm is the best, yeah. way, best thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also not on the other end of the spectrum, not downplaying it as well. Like if someone comes to you and they've they're, – they've hurt themselves in the session and, and not listening to them, like the whole sort of, you know, if it's not hurting, it's not working. Like, of course you've got to complain. Oh, my like, God, you know, I hate that. I hate that. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> no, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> so, yeah, That's finding it. that line I think is important as well. Yeah, listening to the client and asking them, well, what would you like to do? Like, we could do this or would you like to rest today? Like, you know, listen to what they actually feel comfortable to do as well. Yeah, definitely. So I think that is probably, you know, an amazing place to wrap up this episode. I would love, as as we've talked about, you're based in Adelaide, but I would love you to plug yourself in, and your business in terms of how us coaches can find you if you know, if we are based in Adelaide, but obviously you do some work online as well. So if we, you know, need someone to refer to, if we have, you know, an injured client, how can we find you? <laughs> Instagram is probably the best place. Um, so my my physio Instagram is ecp.physio. Um, so I've got all kinds of like health wellness tips there. You can find my website there and I'm always up for a chat. Um, my mentoring and business account is emily.com. P-E-U-T, Pute. Um, and so that's all the kind of stuff I, I work with, like health professionals to help them grow their business. So you'll find all kinds of tips around business growth on there as well. So likewise, always up for a chat with anyone. Amazing. And I will have all of those details linked in the show notes below so people can click on that straight from this episode and find you. But Emily, thank you so much for coming on today's episode. I know I've learned a lot <laughs> and I'm going to be able to take this into my clients and you know again like have that open dialogue I know some of the questions that I can ask now and I know exactly how to sort of like manage that relationship with physios and all of that good stuff so thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today thanks for having me thank you for listening to the AWPT podcast if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with your friends and fellow coaches and subscribe for weekly episodes and content.